So one of the things that I've been able to do for 30 years is I've been able to interview, I've been able to interview people, to hire people for work. And I don't know how many of you have ever had that privilege, but uh, you learn some interesting things about people when you interview them for jobs, right? And so, but of all the places I've ever interviewed, whether it was restaurants, nursing homes, whatever, nothing has been as challenging as interviewing pastors, uh, to get them on staff. And so I was, I was interviewing, um, a guy, hotshot graduate to, to come to staff. And so I asked him at the end of the interview, what, what kind of salary did he expect? Uh, and he said about $125,000 a year, depending on the benefit package. And I said, well, what would you think about, what would you think about a job with five weeks paid vacation? 14 paid holidays, full medical and dental insurance, and retirement, a retirement fund that we match up to 50% and we'll lease you a car for every, we'll lease you a car every two years. You get to pick the car. And man, he bolted upright in his chair and he looked at me and he said, really? He said, are you kidding me? And I said, yes, but you started it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Listen, that's much better than the cool ranch story. So, yeah, anyway, unfortunately, there's more truth to that story than I would like to tell you. So anyway, John chapter 10, we've been walking through Jesus' statements. Uh, I am statements, right? His statements of deity and also his statements that ultimately sort of built a crescendo of fury with the Pharisees in this process, right? The Pharisees, listen, the religious leaders of the day hated Jesus. And when you read the gospel of John, you realize that part of the reason they hated Jesus was because he helped instigate this conversation. And so he did that a lot with these I am statements because they came at pretty crucial moments in this story, right in Jesus's ministry, so I uh, I had the privilege of of being a father to four children, and I'm 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 tall and grew up in the country. I mean, I grew up in a day and an age where you got thrown into the back seat of a of a pickup truck or the back seat of a car with no seat belts, right? We would, my dad had a station wagon. We'd sit in the back with our faces plastered against the window. You know, anybody relate to that, right? So grew up sort of rough and tumble in the country kind of thing. And so when I had kids, right, one of the things I liked doing with my kids was I would put, when they got to the point that they could do this, I would stand them on the top of my car and then I would put my hands out and say, hey, jump. Right? I won't ask who else does that because today they'd call DCF on you, okay? But I would stand there and then I would wait for my son or my daughter to jump off the car, right? To get them to, to jump into my arms. Once I got them to do it once, maybe twice, asking them the third and the fourth and the fifth time, I didn't have to because when we would get there, they would want to do it on their own, right? Listen, a preaching, especially about tonight being the good shepherd, is a lot like that, right? When I stood my son on the 
roof of that car for the first time and said with words, right? Said with words, hey, jump. You can trust me. His initial response to me, even though maybe not capable of verbalizing it, was, you've got to be kidding me, right? This is terrifying, scary, right? But at some point in time, the combination of my words and my presence allowed my son and my daughter to eventually take that leap. None of my kids ever refused to do it. They eventually did it. And they did it so frequently, they got to the point that they were okay with it, right? I didn't have to prompt them. I didn't have to say, hey, it's okay, daddy's got you, don't worry. That was just the first couple times. But once they trusted in that word and trusted in that presence, the actions followed pretty quickly. Listen, a lot of preaching is built on that premise, right? We're talking about principles and we're talking about things that were written thousands of years ago to people that weren't you and me. And we have to put our faith in these words. We have to put our faith in these words so that our actions reflect our trust in that. Right? The song that we just sang. We pray for a breakthrough. Right? A revival today. Right? The hope is that at some point in time in the teaching and the preaching of God's word, your faith in that word becomes so convinced that the actions, right? The actions follow without hesitation. Because listen, it is a difficult thing to walk in faith on a regular basis because we are people that operate so much on sight, right? We just are. We operate on that principle. And so when religion or faith requires you and me to walk, not by sight, right? But by faith, what is it you're going to lean on in the absence of sight that's going to make you go, this is okay, I know this is the path to take. I know I'm supposed to do this, right? What is it? At some point, what it is, it's trusting in this word enough to practice it even though you can't see it, right? And so in John 10, Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd. We talked a little bit about this last week as we finished up the statement, I am the door. We just got into the I am the shepherd I am the shepherd part, right? And in John chapter 10, I'm just going to read some verses here. I don't know if we have those verses or not, do we? Right? John chapter 10. Uh, we're going to read these verses. I'm just going to ask you to stand. We're going to read a handful of these verses um, in this chapter. And then we're going to just sort of walk through this, right? And again, the hope, listen, the hope always in preaching is that the teaching and the preaching of the word will eventually create enough faith in us that when the situation allows us, we can practice our faith, right? So Jesus says this, he said, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he's brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them 
He doesn't drive them. He leads them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they didn't understand what he was telling them. All right. Do we have, you don't have verse 11? No problem. You guys can sit. So Jesus carries on the narrative in John 11. And I just want to read the rest of that narrative to you. Because in John chapter 10 and verse 11, he goes on to say this. I'm the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand's not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, right? He abandons the sheep, runs away, and the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen and I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I laid down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. So last week we talked a little bit about this good shepherd, right? The picture of this sheepfold. So a lot of times the shepherds would drive sheep out into the wilderness. They would be out there late and they would make a makeshift pen, right? And the shepherd would lay down across the opening and he would actually be the door. We talked about that for a couple weeks. But a lot of these shepherds would drive their sheep into the pasture on the countryside and then eventually find their way back into town in the evening. And in these towns would be these large sheep pens that would actually have a gate and have an attendant at the gate. And the sheep would go into this, into this uh, huge pen. Well, then the shepherd would come back the next morning and with his own voice... He would call his sheep by name and those sheep that were his would follow. None of the sheep, right? None of the sheep that didn't recognize my voice would follow me. Only those that knew me. And then I would lead those sheep away and every shepherd would come in that way. Jesus said, I'm the gate, right? He referred to this situation, right? That only through him can one be saved. Climbing over, over, and not going through him, you can't be saved, right? So when we talk about faith only in Jesus, right? We're not talking about an exclusive faith because who can enter through the door? Everyone, right? What's exclusive is that the door is only one. So when Jesus says, broad is the way that leads to destruction and many find it, and narrow is the way that leads to life and few find it, it isn't because, right, it isn't because of any other thing other than there's only one way to be saved. It's Jesus. And listen, ever since that's been taught, the world has hated it because Satan hates it. Satan rejects that fundamentally because if that's the case, how many gods are there? There's just one. And guess what? Satan wants to be, which means there would be, don't work. 
So he hates the premise of the gospel. He hates Jesus, right? Which means you can talk about God. You can talk about church. You can talk about whatever you want to. But the minute you start talking about Jesus, everything changes. Because fundamentally, Satan knows that's the only exclusive way to be saved. And we talked at length about that, right? Jesus follows that up in the conversation by saying, I'm the good shepherd. And the first thing about the shepherd, right? The first thing about the shepherd is bring that first point back up uh, that is there right above that scripture in Genesis 3, right? The first, the first point is that approach, everybody read this with me, approach indicates, right? We talked a little bit about that last week. You go up, I was scared to death of dogs growing up because they chased me, right? Uh, sort of like that line from um, the great outdoors with John Candy, you know, big bear chased me, right? Nobody saw that? All right. Just wanted to make sure we were, I just wanted to make sure I was still at the same church. I wanted to make sure, right? But dogs would chase me. And one of the things you learn, right, as you approach strange dogs is how you approach those dogs matters, right? Because dogs are smart enough to know that based upon your approach, they know what your motive or your intent is, right? So you guard that approach. The first thing that Jesus says about a good shepherd is, you know their motives and their hearts by the way they approach you. And Jesus says, I as a good shepherd would go through the gate and I would call out my sheep, a thief and a robber, somebody that has no good intent for you doesn't go through the gate. Listen, you want to figure out how you're listening to a false teacher? Always look for how do they treat Jesus, right? I don't care what good things they say. Listen, you can listen to a lot of good YouTube videos. You can listen to a lot of decent sermons. But the indicator of whether this is a thief, a robber, or a shepherd depends on what they say about Jesus. And we quote a lot of things when Jesus isn't, isn't the focal point, right? If that gate isn't the focal point, that's a liar. That's a thief and a robber. And you shouldn't listen to anything they say because Satan knows how to lie better than anybody, and those that are with Satan know how to lie just like him. And false teachers know how to mix enough truth and enough lie to make people think that's a great way to do it. Listen, the minute you know where this person stands with Jesus, you need to make your decision. Because approach matters. Right? Jesus says, I approach you through the gate. I come in, I call you by my voice, right? Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, what did it say? Right? That, no, 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 go back up to the first point and that very first, uh, verse there, Acts 3, or Genesis 3, 8 and 9, right? So when Adam and Eve sinned, Right When Adam and see Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, here's what happened. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden. God was doing what in the garden? Walking, right? Wasn't running, wasn't stomping, right? He was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. His approach, walking in the cool of the day, was gentle. But they hid from him, right, among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called to the man and said what? Did he know? Yes. Did he know what they had done? Was his approach gentle? Yes. Yes. I mean, they had just 
They had just done what he'd asked them not to do. And yet his approach was incredibly gentle. Listen to John 8 with the woman caught in adultery in verse chapter 8, verse 9. And this, the, when, when Jesus said, right, he was without sin, cast the first stone. Those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until Jesus only was left with the woman standing there. Right? Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Right? She says, no one. He says, listen to his approach. Neither do I what? Condemn you. Right? Jesus declared, go and leave your life of sin. Was the approach gentle? Kind? Yes. Is that the way we've presented God to people in church? Just say it. No. We present God as this mean rule keeper. And if you break his rule, you're going straight to hell. And the reality is if you're a Christian and you're breaking the rules, you're going to hell first and faster. Because we've made God this unapproachable person. Listen, Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I approach you, which exposes completely, right, my intent and my heart, right? You can skip that first Kings passage there, Jenna. Let's go to Luke chapter 12 and verse 32. Listen to what Jesus wants us to have. Listen to what his heart is for us. In verse 32, he says this. <coughs> Excuse me. Don't be afraid, little flock, for your father. Listen to what your father wants. We're a flock. We're the sheep of his pasture. Our father has been pleased to give you the what? Listen, God's heart's desire is for us, right? We made that seem like a bad thing when preachers started saying it. But listen, the truth is when you read this story... God is for you. He's for me. He's for us. And he tells us exactly what he wants us to have. God's desire is to give you the what? The kingdom. Whose kingdom? His kingdom. And his kingdom rules all. His desire isn't against you. His approach is gentle. His desire as the good shepherd is for you. Listen to Jesus in Matthew 11. <coughs> Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened. So he's already addressing us in a time where if you're weary and burdened, right? You know, how many of you have known weary and burdened, right? Listen, when you're weary and burdened, the last thing you need is somebody approaching you poorly, right? When you're weary and burdened, you need somebody to encourage you. Somebody to lift you up, not somebody to come in there who thinks that the, the best thing to do with everybody is to give them a good kick in the backside, right? He said, if you're weary and burdened, he said, come to me and I'm going to give you what? I'm going to give you a stern lecture. I'm going to give you a Bible verse. I'm going to tell you what you should be doing. I'm going to tell you you should pray more and you should read this verse. No, what does he say? Come to me when you're weary and burdened and I'll give you what? Rest. Just peace. Just peace, not chaos, not lecture, not condemnation, but rest. He goes on to say this, take my yoke, right? Put my, put my actual burden around you, right? And learn from me for I am what? Gentle and humble in heart. And listen to this. And you will find rest for your souls. How? Because the burden of Jesus is what? It's easy. And my burden is, listen, Jesus' approach as a good shepherd is, for you, to give you the kingdom, right? And his approach indicates 
how much he cares about you. Listen, come to me, you who are weary and burdened, right? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Listen, we've got a shepherd of our souls that cares about us, that you already know the motive and intent of his heart. Why do I tell you that? Because you're a kid like me standing on the roof of a car and the father is saying, jump. Because the reality is for most of us, when we are in these situations, there are those of us that would struggle with running to Jesus. I don't know if you've ever been stuck in a life of sin post-conversion. But if you've ever been in that situation, you are weary and burdened. Anybody relate to this? Right? I know this isn't the Saturday night crowd at 6.30 because they would get it. Okay? Just kidding. Just kidding. But you know that. And how many of you in following Jesus and being faithful in your responsibilities, in your marriage, and as a parent and financially have ever felt weary and burdened? And listen, the reality is for so many of us, what do we do in those moments? Most of us, right, struggle with trusting that our good shepherd has nothing but the best for us. And so where do we go? We don't often go to him. Right? We don't often run to him, right? We run to friends. We run to Facebook, right? We run to all of these other things. We run to medicine, right? We run to pills. We run to alcohol. We run to whatever so that we can quote unquote cope with what we've got going on in our life. And what does Jesus say? Come to me when you're weary and you're burdened and I'll give you what? I'll give you rest. He says, because I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart and you can learn from me. But here's the thing. None of this, none of this teaching affects you until you trusted enough to jump off the car. Which means the next time you're in this situation, instead of turning to something else, let your faith have a breakthrough to where when that happens, you do turn to him. You do trust in him. You do come to Jesus. Right. As opposed to going now, I got to fix this and I got to take care of this or I got to cope with this. Right. Now I got to deal with this. No. At some point in time, either the words from the father standing on the ground to you on the roof of the car convinces you to jump or you need something more sightful. You need to see it as opposed to trusting it. And the challenge for those of us as believers, is that we're supposed to walk by faith and not by what? Not by sight. So do you believe that the good shepherd and his approach are humble and gentle and kind and non-condemning to you? Yes or no? The next time you're in a situation where you get to try to put that to the test, man, lean into that. These aren't written for anything else than our instruction. Well, what instruction? The next time that I'm worried that I'm I'm the woman caught in adultery. The next time I am weary and burdened. Right? The next time I'm in those situations, am I going to trust the good shepherd and come to him? I didn't put the scripture in there, but in Hebrews chapter four, right, the writer of Hebrews says, Listen, we have a high priest that sympathizes with us. Right? Because he understands us. Why? Because he's been tempted in every way. Listen, you're not being tested or tempted in any way that Jesus doesn't understand. And so he says, the next time 
you need grace and you need mercy, you come to me. And yet, how many Christian people, when they're in a situation where they've done something wrong and they need mercy, not judgment, and they need grace to get something that they don't deserve, how many Christians run away from church and run away from Jesus and run away from their Bible and run away from prayer? A lot of them. Why? Because we're the kid on the top of the car and we don't trust the words being spoken by our Father. Listen, the goal is for those words to mean something to you so that when you walk in faith, you can practice them. Here's the second thing that happens in this story, right? Everybody read that with me. Actions expose investment. So I, I played sports a long, long time, coached sports. And one of the things you learn about kids, right? Either playing them yourself or coaching them is you know you know, based upon what a kid does, right, how much they care about what they're doing. Does that make sense? Listen, you can tell. You can tell. Listen, I raise kids. I watch kids do homework, right? You know how much a kid cares about his education by how much time they spend at homework, yes or no, right? You can tell what are your, you can tell right now what your kid, what your parent, what your spouse, what your best friend, what your boyfriend, your girlfriend cares about. Just watch what they, what? Invest in. And our actions tell us that, right? You can look at my bank sheet right now. And here's what you would learn about me. Here's one thing I truly care about. I care about the church because you would see, you would see my giving in that. Here's the other thing you care about. I like eating out. Right? Listen, if I never, if I could have a house without a kitchen, I'd be happy. Right? Exactly. Right? I know some of you are like, oh, he's so sad. I get it. Right? I get it. But if I could go someplace and have some people, somebody cook my food and give me free refills. Listen, I'm in that every day. Come on, Jesus. Let's do that. Right? And listen, when it comes to that, I will, I will I will gladly invest in that because I care about it, right? You, you would see that based upon my investment. Here's what Jesus says about being a good shepherd. You can tell what a shepherd cares about based upon their actions, right? Here's the thing. When it comes to trying to quote unquote find love, right? We have this saying that we look for these red flags, Right? Now, a red flag basically is for smart people, right? A red flag would indicate to a person, right, that based upon this action, this is probably not a worthwhile investment. But based upon the number of people we counsel, my guess is the red flags are often ignored, right? Listen, the reality is this, that actions... Do speak to what we care about. They tell us about that investment that somebody's willing to put in. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his what? I lay down my life. He lays down his life for who? The sheep. The only people that benefit from this are the ones that are willing to subject themselves to the shepherd's guidance. So if you're watching online or you're in here and you have not submitted to Jesus for his guidance as a shepherd, then this means nothing to you. 
right? You won't recognize the investment of Jesus and his actions until you submit to him as your shepherd. And part of the hope in hearing this is that you understand how much Jesus absolutely cares about you. But a shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He goes on to say this, the hired hand isn't the shepherd. He doesn't own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf, the bad guy coming, he abandons him, runs away, and lets the wolf have him. Right? There's a distinction. Actions indicate a shepherd. Now, I don't know what you know about shepherding back in the day, right? But man, shepherding, shepherding was taken serious. I mean, really, really, really serious. Listen to Amos 3.12. I just want to read three verses from the Old Testament, and then I want to quote a book to you written by a shepherd. Here's what it says. Amos says this about shepherds. Now, Amos was a shepherd, right? Uh, so this is what the Lord says. As a shepherd saves from the lion's mouth. So the shepherd is taking these things out of the mouth of a lion. And you'll know by what he takes out what the lion did to the sheep. As a shepherd saves from the lion's mouth only two leg, what? Bones and a piece of an ear, right? So what's happened to the sheep? The sheep is what? Yeah, he's dead, right? Because because the lion did what? Killed him and ate him. So why is the shepherd there pulling out the leg bones and a piece of an ear? Because shepherding was serious business. If you lost a sheep, you were required to show proof that that sheep actually was lost on your watch. You couldn't just leave with 15 sheep and come back with 13 and go, nah, I lost two of them. You were responsible for answering an accountability for those sheep, even if they were gone. So why would a shepherd go to a mouth of a lion? And let's be honest, if there are two bones and a piece of an ear in the lion's mouth, the lion's probably still what? He's probably still eating. I don't know who said that, but great answer, right? He's probably still eating, which means he's alive. And guess where the shepherd goes? He goes right to the live lion and does what? He pulls the bones of the legs out of his mouth and he pulls the ear out, which means the shepherd probably did what to the lion? Yeah. I don't know if you've ever tried to pull an ear out of a lion's mouth while he was still eating it. Probably not going to happen. So guess what the shepherd did? The shepherd went in and probably killed the lion. Listen, shepherding's serious business, right? Listen to what it says. Listen to what it says in 1 Kings First Samuel 17. This is David, right? Do you have do you have First Samuel 17 next there? Listen to what David said. So David says to Saul, he's there showing up, Goliath taunting everybody. David says to Saul, your servant's been keeping his father's sheep. Because Saul's asking him, right? When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock. So David's out tending sheep for his dad. He's accountable for that number of sheep. I went after that lion and bear. I struck it and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, the lion or the bear, I seized it by its hair. I struck it and I killed it. He says, as a shepherd, I have killed both lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Listen, shepherding was serious business. Because they didn't have an AK-47. They didn't have a Beretta or a Glock 9, right? They didn't have these, these kind of weapons. You know what they had? They had a stick. You know, we can call it a staff and make it fancy. 
But let's be honest, it was just a piece of wood carved out of a tree. And the shepherd, David said, if my sheep got taken, I went after the lion and the bear. Why? Because the shepherd is accountable for his sheep. And if you're going to attack a live bear, right? Listen, I've got a, I've got a, I've got a thing in my bathroom at home. It's my, one of my favorite. It says, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger, except bears. They will kill you. Right? I love it. Listen, if you're a shepherd, if you're a shepherd and a bear has your sheep and you're going after it to get your sheep back, you're putting your life on the line, are you not? It's a, it's a troubling business. Listen to what Exodus says. This was in the law, Exodus 22. If a man gives a donkey, an ox, or a what? Or any other animal to his neighbor for safekeeping. That person's now become the shepherd of this sheep. And it dies, right? Or is injured or is taken away while no one is looking. The issue between them will be settled by the taking of an oath before the Lord. That the neighbor did not lay, right, his hands on the other person's property. So if if you come to my house and I give you a sheep to ten. We've basically signed an oath and agreement. That if something happens, you're now accountable for that sheep to me. That was an agreed upon thing in the law. It says the owner is to accept this and no restitution is required. But if the animal gets stolen from the neighbor, he must make restitution, right? If it's torn to pieces by a insert lion or bear... You shall bring the remains as evidence and he will not be required to pay for the torn animal. Do you think shepherding was serious business? Listen, ain't nobody took took their life in their hands more than a shepherd. Because look what you got to do to protect your sheep. If you got to go fight lions and bears, you got to be willing to lay down your life. And that's what Jesus says he did. I'm the good shepherd. I'm willing to lay down my life for my sheep. I found this written in an old, old, old book. I just want to read it to you. It's about shepherding by a shepherd. It says there's the book's called The Land of the Book. So he's talking about Palestine. He says in this book, I've listened with intense interest to the graphic descriptions and downright desperate fights with savage beast by these shepherds. When the thief and the robber come, the faithful shepherd often puts his life in his hands to defend his flock. I've known more than one case where the shepherd literally had to lay down his life in the contest. Well, I mean, if you're fighting a wild beast, you could lose. So there was risk, and you couldn't just all of a sudden stop the risk. It could come to death. That same shepherd goes on to say, a poor fellow last spring between Tiberias and Tabor, instead of fleeing, actually fought three Bedouin robbers until he was hacked to pieces with their knives and died among the sheep he was defending. It happens. But that's what a shepherd does. Talk about a man's man. Talk about a tough job. Low paying and low skill. Man, shepherding was serious business. So when we ask the question from a spiritual perspective, who cares most about me? Who cares about my soul? 
Is it Buddha? Right? Is it, is it Islam? Right? Is it any of these other religions? Jesus says, you can know what I care about by what I do. Jesus laid down his life for you and me. Because guess what shepherds do? They do whatever it takes to protect their sheep. That means that when you feel that you're not protected or that you're scared or that you're in danger, Listen, instead of running to the bottle, instead of running to pills, instead of running into the arms of another human being, right? You run to who? Jesus. The proverb writer says in Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run to him and they are safe. But you got to be the kid on the top of the car that trusts those words enough to jump. Matthew 20, 28 says it this way. Matthew writes, just as the son of man didn't come to be served, right? But to what? Serve. And for Jesus, here's what it looked like. And to give his life as a what? A ransom for many. How about this verse? The next verse in Isaiah 53, right? The prophet writes these words. Surely, he's talking about Jesus. Surely he took up our infirmities and he carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced. Everybody read this with me online in here. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought peace, brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds or stripes we are healed listen you want to know where to be whole you want to know where to be rescued you want to know where to be restored go to the good shepherd because this good shepherd is known because of his actions because his actions indicates how much he cares for you listen, you know what listen i mean and here's the thing this principle applies to so many things you want to know who's good for you? The person that's willing to lay down their life for you. You want a, you want a better marriage? Then better, marry better. Right? Don't ignore these kind of things. Because listen, we say it this way. Actions speak louder than words. Right? I don't know if I always like that saying. But I do know this. Actions always indicate my investment. What I care about. Jesus said, man, if you're a shepherd... Just by the sheer role of the event, the job, it's going to require your life. Listen, when you listen, listen, when you listen to these pastors online, these YouTube preachers or these social media preachers, listen, here's what you need to listen for. Are these people thieves and robbers who are only there to fleece the sheep or will they lay down their life for these people? That's when you know you have a shepherd. Listen, we've got, we've got some amazing pastors on our staff who take on the role of shepherding seriously and not, I don't know one of them that wouldn't sacrifice their life for you. And I don't mean they would stand on the street and let a car run over them for you, right? Maybe some of them would, I don't know. I wouldn't, okay? Just kidding, Just kidding right? But they will lay down their life for you. They will give up their time. They'll get up at four in the morning. And they'll stay up all night. They'll lay down their life. Why? Because shepherds will do that for their sheep. That's what Jesus does. 
right? Here's what Zechariah says about a bad shepherd, right? Zechariah 11 says, I'm going to raise up a shepherd. This is God speaking to the prophet Zechariah. I'm going to raise up a shepherd over the land who's not going to care for the lost. Listen, if you're a shepherd, the good shepherd cares about lost people. He says, I'm not going to care for the lost and I'm not going to seek the what? It's a good indication, right? Jesus cares about little children. You know, why is that ministry down that hallway so stinking important to us? Because Jesus cares about little children. And a good shepherd cares about little children. A bad shepherd doesn't care about the young, right? You want to make an impact in ministry? Go to children's ministry. Serve, right? We've challenged the children's ministry to double over the next year. To go from 200 to 400, right? We had 270 this weekend there. We've got a long way to go, but they need shepherds, right? He says... They're going to care to heal the injured. They're going to care to feed the healthy. But they will eat the meat of choice sheep, tearing off their hooves, right? Woe to the worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. May his arm be completely withered and his right eye totally blind. Listen, you know what a bad shepherd looks like, right? You have an indication about that. And a good shepherd, Romans 5, 8 says this. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were sinners, lost sheep, broken sheep, right? Sheep in need of rescue and healing. Christ did what? For us. So maybe you're looking. Maybe you're looking tonight. Maybe you're trying to fill the void in your life, right? Through the greatest job, the best education, the greatest relationship, owning the most beautiful home, driving the nicest cars, right? Doing whatever, feeling that void in you that when you're alone by yourself, that knowing voice in you that says, you're not satisfied, you're not complete, you're not whole. You know where Jesus says to go? You go to the good shepherd. You run to Jesus. And yet so many people who are Christians stand on the roof of that car and refuse to jump. Refuse. They are convinced the world has a better offer. They're convinced that the world will give them what they're longing for. And they ignore the idea that a good shepherd is known by his actions because it tells you of their investment. Man, I want that to be different for us. And then here's the last one. First John 3.16, this is how we know what love is, right? Forrest Gump said, I know what love is, right? Did you like my Forrest Gump impersonation? This is how we know what love is. Read it with me. Jesus Christ. And then what's he tell us? We should do what? Lay down our life for how we ever, listen, how we ever going to convince people that Jesus is a good shepherd if those who've accepted that sacrifice aren't willing to do it for other people. Listen, it's not complicated to know why people don't come to church. It's just not. If you've been the recipient of Jesus' sacrifice for you, we should do the same for who? Others. Why? Because a good shepherd's approach that is gentle and humble and non-condemning makes a difference. You want to get people to jump off the roof of that car? Lay down your life for others. Here's the last one. I want to get to this real quick. Intimacy, right? Everybody read this with me. Intimacy and and go hand in hand. I've got, I've got a really, really good friend. 
is going to come next week for the Daytona 500. And we've been friends for 26 years. We know each other incredibly well, right? There's very intimate understanding and knowledge between the two of us. I have an identity with him that nobody else has. He knows that identity of me by the name that he calls me. And that name identifies me to him in a way that nobody else has identified that way. And it's only through intimacy. Right? When my mom, right, when my mom was raising me and I would get in trouble, she would do what many of you heard and what many of you still do. When your kid's in trouble, you would say their first, their middle, and their last name. Anybody? Core, I'm not going to say my middle name because some of you don't know and you'll make fun of it. So I'm not doing that. Right? I love you, but I'm not sure I trust you with that intimate information yet. Right? But when Harmony is yelling at Owen, it'll be Owen Cooper is middle name. Why? Because intimacy and identity, listen, they go like this. Right? Anybody in here, don't raise your hand. Right? Anybody here have a pet name for somebody else? I was going to say, raise your hand. <laughs> Just nod. Do anybody have a pet name? Yes. Anybody called by a pet name by anybody in their life? Yes. Where does that pet name come from? It comes from intimacy. And if somebody who doesn't know you hears that pet name and uses it on you, does it feel a little bit creepy? 100%. Right? Nobody sees Shelby in the back. Ignore her. Hi, Shelby. Thank you. Right? So she doesn't just wave. She points at her watch like, let's go. Right? Jesus says this in John 10, 14. He says, I am the good shepherd. I what? I know my sheep and my sheep know me as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Right? Listen, intimacy, I know, and the phrase my sheep are connected. You want to be known by somebody? There's intimacy involved in that. You want intimacy? You got to know. They go hand in hand. Listen, if somebody calls you babe, right? Somebody calls you babe because they're intimate with you. And then a stranger calls you babe. That doesn't work. Right? Listen, this phrase that we've got now where people are calling everybody bra, right? Bro. You know, I interviewed a guy the other day for a pastor job and he said, he called me bro like 37 times. <laughs> Honestly, it made me never want to hire the guy. Because when somebody tries to be that intimate with you without knowledge, that work, right? Listen. Intimacy and identity go hand in hand. Jesus says the same thing. Listen to Jesus with the woman at the well. We don't even know her name. Listen to what it says in John 4. Jesus said to her, go and tell your husband or call your husband and come back. She says, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right. When you say you don't have a husband, right? He says, in fact, you've had what? Five. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. Now pick up the story at the end of John chapter 4, right? 
Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. She went into town and she told these people about Jesus. Listen to what her testimony was. He told me what? Intimacy, right? Gave her an identity with Jesus that she accepted. And then they developed their own intimacy with him by listening to him. And they eventually say, listen, we now believe because we've heard for ourselves, right? They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Your intimacy didn't transfer for me. Now we've heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Listen, you want to know something about the good shepherd? And the reason you can stand on that roof of that car and jump is because he knows you better than anybody else. Listen, there are, I can't, I can't even imagine the number of people that call this church home. And those people that call this church home that know people. And they believe with all of their heart nobody cares for them. It's what they believe. They just don't believe that anybody cares for them. They don't have any value. They don't have any worth. I talk to people in this church on a regular basis and one of their biggest struggles is they don't believe they have worth. They don't believe they have that. And guess what? People who have no worth or feel that have no identity. And people who feel no value and have no identity don't take long to figure out how to destroy their own life. Happens all the time. I don't want you to be the kid on the car Whose father says, listen, I know you. You're my son. You're my daughter. I know everything about you. And I love you. Matter of fact, I know so much about you. And in spite of that, I'm going to lay down my life for you. If you don't trust that and don't jump into that, what good are the words? You see, we want a breakthrough, right? We want revival to happen today. You know how this stuff happens? It happens in these moments. It doesn't happen in big worship services. It doesn't happen in grandiose preaching, right? It happens in those moments when the voice says to you, I'm worthless. Nobody cares about me. Nobody cares about me. I'm never going back to church again. Nobody cares about me. I got no value. And then you start having stupid thoughts. Thoughts about there's no real point point in living anymore. This world would just be better off if I wasn't here, Right? Listen, when those moments happen, don't be that kid that listens to that father who stands on that roof and never jumps. Trust in these words. Jesus said this in Matthew 7, 21. Look look how important identity is with Jesus. Not everyone who what? Not everyone who says to me, babe, hey, bro, right? He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, right, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, but only he who does the will of my father who's in heaven. Because they're going to come to me on that day and say, Lord, didn't we do all these great things in your name? Prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform all these miracles. Think of television evangelists, pastors on TV who are charlatans robbing the sheep blind. Right. He said, they're not they're not going to know. Tell then I will tell them plainly. I never what knew you away from me, you evildoer. Listen, it's important for you and I to be known by the shepherd and for us to trust in his knowledge of us. So when we are in those moments, we know where to go to. Because what's he say? The sheep know my voice, right? And I know theirs. That's why it's important for you to study God's word. Why it's important for you to be in a group. Why it's important for you to listen to preaching. Because you get to learn the voice of God. And here's the thing about a good shepherd. You will know 
He's good by those words. And you can verify those words by his actions. Will he lay down his life for you? And because of that, Jesus will know you. And you will no longer be the woman who got divorced five times and is sleeping with another man who's married. You won't be her. You'll be his daughter. You won't be the guy who had the multiple affairs or the porn addiction or lost all of your family's money through gambling or through drinking. You'll be a son. Why? Because God's intimate knowledge of you gives you that identity. Jesus said this in John 13, 34. Listen to the power we have to transfer that new command I give to you. Everybody say it with me. Love what? One another. No exclusive, no exclusivity. Just love one another. As I have loved you, so must you love one another. Then he says this. By this, all men will what? No epigenosis, experiential knowledge. All men will know that you are my what? Disciples identity. If you what? See, the great thing about having an identity that's created by intimacy because we know Jesus, we can transfer that same power to other people by loving them and laying down our lives for them. And then guess what? They will know our identity by what we do. Make sense? You don't need a bumper sticker on your car to tell people you go to Tomoka Christian Church. Because most of you shouldn't have one anyway. Because the way you drive is just not helping us, okay? Yeah, I've been asked multiple times, well, I don't have a Tomoka bumper sticker on my car. Last thing they need to see is this pastor driving, all right? You know, it won't help my cause or yours, right? You want to know how the world will find out about Jesus through you. But you got to experience it first. And so for some of you, you're standing on that hood. And God has been telling you the same thing for 10 years. And you still won't jump. There's no revival. There's no breakthrough. There's no change until you jump. Because once you jump and put your faith in those words, right? The next time, it'll be easier. I'm not saying it'll be easy, but it will be easier. To eventually, it will become routine. And that's when you truly experience the goodness of a shepherd. When you can walk with Jesus without hesitation, without any distrust, man, you want to know how people know Jesus and how he's real? They know your identity because of your intimacy. And Jesus said, by all this, or by this, all men will know that you're my disciples, that you have love for one another. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for being a good shepherd, for sending your son. Grateful, God, for Jesus' willingness to lay down his life, and to take it up again. I pray for each of us to trust those words, to have a breakthrough, to have a revival, and learn that Jesus being the good shepherd doesn't just transform my life. That when I actually live it, it transforms other people's. The world is full of thieves and robbers, charlatans who simply are there to fleece the sheep. God, may we know the difference and we may, may we be able to help other people do the same thing. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, church.